everybody, I'm Gavin Scott from chartbeats.com.au and welcome to a special episode of A Journey Through Aussie Pop, a mini episode, a bonus episode, whatever you want to call it. It's also a bonus episode of A Journey Through Stock Aitken Waterman, the podcast that is working its way through every single produced by Saw, the hit factory. So this is really a crossover event when Saw meets Aussie Pop. And joining us for this special occasion is Robbie Molinari, my co-host from Aussie Pop, and Matthew Demby, my co-host from Saw. Hi, guys. Hi, Gavin. Hi, Robbie. Thank you for letting me come over and play at your house. Hello, Gavin Scott, and welcome, Matt. And uh, you can come to our house anytime. It's great to be a little Chartbeats collective for this particular episode. It's great to have you both here. And it's interesting because on the Saw podcast at the moment, we are getting into Aussie artists, Kylie and Jason. So there is a real crossover thing happening where we're talking talking about Australian pop on the Saw podcast and in Aussie pop, obviously we're talking about the Australian music scene. So yes, this is the perfect marriage of our worlds. So what we're going to be doing in this episode is hearing part of an interview with Tanya Lacey. We spoke to her for A Journey Through Saw because she choreographed the original music video for Locomotion and she had some interesting things to say about that, didn't she, Matt? She definitely did, yeah. Tanya was right there at the beginning of Kylie's pop career, so she's got the kind of insights not many people really have. Before she became well-known in her own right, Tanya was front and centre in Kylie's debut music video and she gave us a lot of great insights about that experience from the product placements they had to use in that video to what Kylie was like on set. And you can hear all of that in episode 36 of A Journey Through Stock Aitken and Waterman. That's right. Now, if you know the name Tanya Lacey, you know that she was also involved in two music shows on the ABC, wasn't she, Robbie? She certainly was. Obviously, there was The Factory, which aired every Saturday morning on the ABC. And then later on after that, she became part of Countdown Revolution, which I was religiously addicted to, you know, both shows. After school, I would always watch Countdown Revolution and Saturday mornings, I was sitting in front of the TV, my PJs, and catch up on all the pop goss. And she was just such a highlight in Aussie TV back in the day. I loved her. And in our interview, Tanya talked about her experience on both those shows. I think it's fair to say she made quite an impression, didn't she, Matt? She definitely did. Look, I, the first memory I ever had of Tanya Lacey, although I didn't know her name at the time, was seeing her dancing on Countdown before Countdown Revolution, the old school Countdown. You know, back in 87, when we had that big inrush of sort of semi-faceless dance hits like Boom Boom by Paula Carcass, Love and Devotion, Mouse Stripper, all those songs, they didn't really have video for those for Countdown. So they'd show montages of people dancing on the dance floor. And there was this girl who I always noticed who was, you know, dancing up a storm. Then suddenly one day there she was opening the show, introducing the show. And I thought, who is that? I've got to know who that is. And then of course she uh, ended up on The Factory, which was one of my favourite pop shows of the 80s. I just loved The Factory. Just to sit there and watch the whole thing. Just loved it. You know, Andrew Daddo, Alex Paps, Tanya Lacey. But Tanya Lacey was my favourite on there. She was so funny. She brought in you know, all, all this humour with the sort of sketch style characters. She had that hilarious character, the librarian, and then that sort of bitchy kind of uh, rich girl from Turak character. And she did all those funny sort of uh, walk-ons into uh, real life workplaces. Like I remember her turning up at the Truth newspaper. I love the Truth because it was full of, you know, r- hilarious pop music gossip. She turned up there to confront them about why they ran those pictures of uh, Kylie uh, topless in Bali to sort of illustrate their story about how uh, Kylie might be an alien 
and and another time she uh, she turned up at various embassies uh, trying to ask to be an astronaut and there was a bit of biffo there because the security didn't appreciate her walking in. She was just a total standout and then when she was on Countdown Revolution when she sort of became one of the main hosts on there with Mark Little, I was so happy because I just couldn't get enough with Tanya and she always stuck in my memory. Matt, you're bringing so many memories back for me in particular. I forgot about all those sketches that she used to do on the factory and they were so funny. To think that she just had the balls to go in and do those things, to bring an ABC crew with her and just show up on the doorstep of embassies. And I, I do remember the episode where she confronted the truth about the Kylie pictures. And, and that was one of the things I loved about Tanya. She was so, she was pro Kylie and she was a big ally for Kylie and there weren't enough of those at the time. So I had so much respect for Tanya because of that, on top of the fact that she was just such an entertaining person on Aussie TV at the time. Okay, so what we'll do now is go into the Q&A with Tanya, where she talks about starting out on Countdown and how she moved onto those two other shows. She talks a little bit about coming back into contact with Kylie through her role as presenter on The Factory and Countdown Revolution. And we're also going to hear about how her time on Countdown Revolution came to an abrupt end. Yes, the infamous strike episode of Countdown Revolution, where Tanya and Mark Little protested against what they felt they were being forced to do by the ABC. Well, that was super controversial, and not only because I'm kind of pro-miming sometimes. If you're a studio actor or a dance actor, you don't necessarily have to sing live like a good old Aussie pub rock band. But, you know, Tanya and Mark did stand up for their principles. It got them in a lot of trouble, though all those memories are coming back and I remember watching that episode you know, after school that night and I was a little bit concerned I'm thinking gosh is, is this going to backfire for these guys and are we going to lose Countdown Revolution is this not going to be on TV anymore because I mean they were the highlight she was the face of Countdown Revolution without Tanya Lacey the, the show would have just been you know nowhere near as entertaining so okay here is Tanya Let's go back to, I guess, the start of your story. So you trained as a dancer. At what point did you start dancing on Countdown? Well, actually, I'd been at the Victorian College of the Arts School of Dance and I had a terrible accident where a drunk teacher dropped me and snapped my leg in half. And when I'd had surgery and everything and I went back, I couldn't maintain what I needed to maintain for classical ballet training. It was just impossible. And so then I thought... Well, I left the college and I thought I'll just move into commercial dance. And so then the countdown gig came up and I thought, okay, perfect start for commercial dancing. Let's do that. And so there I was. <laughs> and what was that gig? What were they looking for? Just people to come on and dance when they didn't have a music video? Yeah, pretty much. They would just um, play the music and we'd dance. And that was the brief. It was not, uh, you know, a big stretch. <laughs> <laughs> so it wasn't choreographed at all. It was just you do whatever moves you want to do. Yeah, yeah. Kind of just make it feel like a nightclub, just get up and dance, you know, and I think that was the idea to make it, give it some sort of vibe. Was it fairly competitive between the dancers, kind of, oh, okay, that's your move? Well, look at my move. Well, it, there was a little bit of that, but, you know, dancers are generally competitive people anyway. <laughs> you have to be to kind of want to you know, subject yourself to that kind of lifestyle. So, 
yeah, there was a little bit of competitiveness, but it wasn't anything ugly. You know, it was just general dancer competitiveness. And did you enjoy that? Yeah, I mean, I really had a good time doing Countdown. I made great friends there. And, you know, then, of course, I ended up working with half the crew when I moved on to the factory. I knew a lot of people there. It was a great way to spend Friday night. (laughs) Yeah, we all had fun. Now, let's talk about you on the factory. I understand you got that job because you opened Countdown one night as kind of a bit of stand-up kind of thing and then Molly loved it and that's the story, right? I was mucking around in the studio mimicking Molly and then Molly saw it and he said, I'm going to get you to open the show. Then a couple of weeks later I got a call and it was weird because those days were the days of answering machines and I'd gone out the day before I got this call and said, oh, no, I forgot to leave my answering machine on, you know. And the next morning the phone rings at like 6 a.m. and it was Grant Rule who was the EP of Countdown. He said, we're, we're just ringing early because we tried to ring you all day yesterday and we figured you must have a day job. <laughs> you know, we're doing a new show. We want to know if you'd like to audition. And I, I auditioned and I think there was three rounds of auditions and eventually got that job, yeah. And how much did you love that job? I loved that job so much. I was so lucky. I mean, there are a couple of things going on. First of all, they didn't give a shit about me. Like, they didn't care what I was doing. They they really didn't care. So that's why I got away with doing all the stuff I got away with doing because no one was actually controlling it. I had a great director who was totally into being rebellious and so, you know, off we went for the day and we'd just, like, get back, edit it, and it would go to air. Then suddenly, you know, I started getting fan mail and lots and lots. Suddenly it was like, well, who is this girl? And I can remember a couple of times after my stuff had gone to air, you know, I'd get told off by the executive producer, like, you know, don't ever put anything like that to air again. Don't ever say that again or whatever. And I'd just be like, well, a bit late telling me after. Perhaps if you want to look at my work before it goes to air, then maybe we can work something out. But, you know, like that's how little they cared. You know, they never watched anything I did, just went to air (laughs) and then I'd get into trouble. (laughs) I mean, it obviously worked. It was just so fun and it was fun because they didn't give a shit and so I could get away with doing so much stuff that normally would be so heavily policed. And, you know, it was also that I was a young woman doing this rebellious stuff on television, you know, kind of not being seen before and... I mean, I just had free reign. It never would you ever get an opportunity like that in television. I could write characters and perform them and no one was there saying, no, you can't do that. You know, I could just do anything I wanted because of this lack of policing. So it was really, truly just an amazing job. And then obviously Countdown Revolution. Mm-hmm. <laughs> mm-hmm. mm-hmm. Talk to me about that. <laughs> well, the show was pretty much a disaster from the start. We had Molly at the helm being the executive producer. You know, there were so many people on the show and Molly would turn up with different hosts. It would be like, oh, this guy was spruiking at Paran Market. He's now the host of the show. And, um, you know, like this was, it was just crazy. It was mental. And I was sort of kept out of it all because I was out shooting in the field. So I just kept on doing what I was doing. And I remember one night, like all the cast was on the stage you know, waving goodbye. And there were more people on the stage than there was in the audience. It was just so mental. You know, then they made the decision to sack everyone and put me and Mark Little at the helm. The show just never worked. It never kicked off. It never became what it should have become. And, you know, the whole time we're sort of being told, just be rebellious, just say what you want, do what you want. And the show started to rage. 
and that sort of became, no, stop tape, no, can't say that, you know. So as the show became successful, they sort of changed that whole be rebellious, say what you want, do what you want, and it became, no, you have to say this because, you know, they're paying for our trips to America and it was a nightmare. It was cash for comment and we were their mouthpieces. It was just a nightmare experience. Right, thus the strike. Yeah, well, you know, no one was listening. You know, we were sort of trying to talk to them and no one was listening. And so do what you want, say what you want. We put the mock strike on, which, of course, then they um, fired us over. I think I remember watching that at the time and thinking, oh, this is fun. This is a fun little sketch they're doing. Oh, the irony that that was probably the best episode that ever went to air and was exactly what the show was supposed to be. But little, we didn't know, but they had actually, the show had actually been axed. We didn't know this. They were about to inform us that the show had been axed. And when we put the strike on, Michael Shrimpton was like, nope, we're not axing it. They're not going to destroy our show. So, you know, he kept it running until it just died a really ugly death. But, yeah, apparently it was going to be axed. And what I loved about that is that they cut you off to play Kylie. (laughs) Well, you know, like that was the other thing. Like we'd always throw to a clip and then we'd be left standing there for like two minutes while, you know. And so suddenly they were like cutting to the clips, you know, it was going the way it should be. And that's what the energy was of that show. You know, that's what it should have been every week. Yes, like I said, early already. Speaking of Kylie, she did come on Countdown Revolution a couple of times. What did you think of that backlash against her? Having been there at the start and, you know, being part of Locomotion and then seeing how everyone loved her and then suddenly, you know, tall poppy, everyone's dragging her down. What did you think of that backlash? I thought it was really brutal and I was really surprised she survived it because it was just so brutal. So that's what I sort of mean by that quiet determination you know like she just kept going and it was so unfair it was just ridiculous you know good on her I mean it felt like nothing she could do not even performing live not even that was enough to make people go oh okay no I mean it was just the Australian press that you know once they make up their mind that they're going to um, give you a hard time they really give you a hard time and there's some people who are never given a hard time you know there's like When is there ever a bad word written about Paul Kelly? Never. You know, some of our athletes, never a bad word written about them. But for some reason, they'll take someone and then they'll just go, right, this is on. She was spending a lot of time in London so she could escape it. It wasn't like she was here every day dealing with it. But did you get a sense in your interviews with her and your interaction, did you get a sense that it it bothered her? Yeah. Yeah, I mean, I, not so much my interview, but I saw her on an inter- a different interview on Hey Hey. She really was like, he said something like, you know, the press has been giving you a hard time and she was like, it's been really hard. And you could see she truly meant that. I, I mean, we did a live cross to one of her concerts and she did an a cappella song in that concert, Tears on My Pillow, which was beautiful, you know, amazing singing. I can understand why she did an a cappella version because she she was having to prove herself continuously and this vile media just kind of going against her all the time. Do you look back fondly on your time as, you know, part of the epicentre of Australian teen culture, despite the way it ended on Countdown Revolution? Do you look back on those years from 87 to, to 90? Yeah, how do you feel about that time? I feel that um, 
I feel that I was probably dismissed, like the the actual work that I did and the effect that I had on Australian teen culture has probably never properly been recognised because of the sacking. And that makes me pretty sad because I think that I was an inventor of a new kind of thing. You know, years later, men did this same thing on um, The Chaser and stuff and everyone was like, oh, isn't this innovative? And it was like, well, not really. I did it years ago. So I feel a little bit like it was never properly recognised and that that's that hurts. I don't know whether it was because I was a woman or I don't know whether it was because I was naughty and I put on a strike and, you know, I don't know. Certainly I feel that the work I did, I'm very proud of it and the way and the sort of things that I did and I'm, I'm very proud of it, but I do not feel it's been properly recognised. I mean, I think anyone who was there at the time watching you recognise it. I mean, I recognise it because I was watching you and, and loving it and think, you know, thinking it was hysterical. I, I guess men controlled the narrative, didn't they? They got to cancel the show the way they wanted to. Did that strike... Did you get blacklisted by the industry because of that strike? Oh, yeah, totally. Couldn't get a job. Couldn't get a job. That's why I started writing my own one-woman shows and stuff like that because, yeah, no one wanted to know. It was brutal and it was devastating to be treated that way because you're outspoken or whatever the reason was. was, It was a very difficult time. Especially when that was the reason they hired you. Yeah, exactly. I mean, I think about it a lot. Uh, I do wish, you know, I often think back and I think I I wish I hadn't done it because it just, the price was too high. But like you say, like the men decided then that um, they would keep the show going and that they would exit in their time. And, you know, there were no women in positions of power in the ABC at that point. There was no one that I could talk to without being told off by a grumpy old man. You know, there was no women there that I could turn to and say, well, this is happening to me. This, you know, no one is listening to me. I have tried so many different ways to please these men and it's not working. How do I do it? You know, there was no one to turn to. And, you know, you've got to remember, I was a 23, 24-year-old woman then. And it was, you know, you're talking to men who are much older than you. It's very hard. It's very intimidating. So there was no one there that I could really turn to to discuss any of this, the situation. And I was dismissed so often in, you know, I was often in tears if I'd approach the EP or whatever and I'd be shot down in the most horrendous way and I'd just be in tears, you know, like it was just cruel. So it was difficult. Do you think the industry's changed? Not enough, not enough. I think that what I like seeing is, you know, there's a lot more women you know, in positions of power on the credits of TV shows. And I love seeing that. But um, the reality is that a lot of the networks in this country are still run by men and it's such a boys' club. Let's leave things on a, on a positive note. What Let's. do you love about what you're doing now, being in control of your career and, you know, getting to tour the country, telling your stories? What's the best thing about where you are now? That I have no boss. Um, (laughs) No, I'm just having a great time getting up, making people laugh, which is always what I've loved doing. I I don't know. It makes me feel more alive when I'm making people laugh. It's a mood enhancer. (laughs) It's really so much fun. And the show I've got at the moment is 
has been received particularly well. But, you know, it is just me organising this, you know. It's just me doing the touring and the the publicity and the this and the that, you know, like it's hard work. And I'm doing a law degree as well. So, you know, it's a lot of work. (laughs) Yeah, no kidding. So I'm hoping that I'll be back on the road again toward the end of the year uh, once I finish my exams again. Is there, despite it sounding like a lot of hard work, is there a satisfaction in doing it yourself? Totally, totally. I wouldn't do it if it weren't satisfying. You know, like it's just so much fun to be in charge of um, the whole operation. Yeah, sure, I'd love to have a manager doing this all, but at the same time, I'm writing the show, I'm performing the show, I'm getting out there and, you know, finally I have the confidence to do that and that's just the most important part of it, just getting out there. I love it. Well, guys, what did you make of that? Yeah, it's so sad that Tanya didn't get to stretch her wings because, as I said, she was super talented. She got my attention immediately on the show she was on. But when you think back to, like, the early 90s in in the wake of uh, Countdown Revolution, what roles were there for funny women on Australian TV? There weren't many. It was a very different time. It was a very sexist time. Basically, unless you were prepared to sort of stand there on Hey Hey at Saturday laughing at uh, Daryl Summers' joke, what role was there for funny women? I think had Tanya been given the opportunities that so many much less talented men had, she could have had a primetime show. I remember reading in TV Week once she and Denise Drysdale were working on a concept for a sitcom. That could have been so funny. Unfortunately, that never saw daylight. I think, you know, Australian TV used to exclude a lot of people, people who weren't white, male, and, you know, within a certain demographic. People have more opportunities now, and it's a shame that Tanya didn't get to shine as much as she deserved to. It's such a tough predicament to find yourself in, especially in the workplace when you have to stand up for yourself and then you know that you're potentially risking everything for the sake of standing your ground. And I guess it did backfire for her, but then I have a lot of respect for her for having the guts to do that. Just listening back to everything she's mentioned there, she's so right. She was ahead of her time. The things that she was bringing to ABC TV to such a young audience is what we started seeing like decades later. I mean, were her sketches any different to anything we saw on Fast Forward or Full Frontal and, you know, the the late show? She could easily have fitted into that, but she was doing it before them. Yeah, look, shame on the ABC. Yeah, it's clear there are parts of the experience that Tanya had working on those shows that still don't sit well with her, and fair enough. From my perspective, shows like The Factory and Countdown Revolution were a lifeline, you know, it allowed me to tap into the pop music world. So it's a shame to hear she had an unhappy experience behind the scenes, but like anything, there are also good points, and I hope she takes pride in the fact that she kept a generation of kids amused and informed. Definitely. And I've got to say the factory generally is grossly underappreciated because it was such a good show. I went back and watched some clips of it on YouTube this week and it was even better than I remembered. It was just so interesting and brave. It was really guerrilla television in a lot of ways. It's just hysterical now to think that, you know, apparently Tanya was able to put stuff to air without anyone higher up the chain even seeing it until it went to air. Could you imagine that now? Yeah, I can't even comprehend that. I mean, they had the faith to let her run with whatever ideas she had, but then would almost backtrack and, you know, have a go at her for taking things just that little bit too far. I don't think I ever saw anything that went too far in the factory or or Countdown Revolution, Uh, you know, apart from the strike episode. I thought she was just always on point and just ahead of the game. 
But I will tell you something. The moment that Tanya Lacey was no longer on our TV screen, she was certainly missed. But, you know, it wasn't until years later, and I don't know if you guys remember a short film that came out in 1997 called Tiziana Buberini, but Tanya Lacey, she played the main character, Tiziana. And um, it was just a short film. I think it went for about 10 minutes, 11 minutes. It was just really, really cool. She's this down and out sort of suburban chick working in a supermarket, and it just sort of follows her little short story. That was actually directed by an Aussie guy called Robert Lucchetti, who went on to then direct Legally Blonde. She really was ahead of her time. Now, as Matt mentioned at the start, you can hear more from Tanya talking specifically about working with Kylie on the locomotion clip in episode 36 of A Journey Through Stock Aiken Waterman, which is out now. Head to chartbeats.com.au slash saw or all major podcast platforms to hear that. And A Journey Through Aussie Pop will be back with its next proper episode in a week when we'll be looking at another landmark ABC series, Sweet and sour so thanks for joining us on this little special occasion and thank you matt and thank you robbie thanks so much gavin and uh great to be all hooked up with matt as well on this uh group chat i'm gonna go listen to the locomotion episode thanks guys well thanks for having me over robbie and gavin maybe we'll do it again sometime and a big thank you to tanya lacy who was one of my favorite people on late 80s australian tv you brought me so much pleasure tanya you're so funny and thanks again okay everybody see you later bye 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 now 